Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. I'm Erin. That's Ange. Hi. That's Char. Hello. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com where you can sign up for our monthly e-news. For behind-the-scenes videos and two-minute clips of our interviews, head to our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can find us every other Thursday morning at 9.30 a.m. at bff.fm. And if you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the love of God, do it. It really helps. We are back at Sundance. And we are here <laughs> with, uh, last week we brought you an interview that Erin had to do all by her lonesome. And here's one that I had to do all by my lonesome for Charm City Kings, which I was totally happy to cover because it's really good, guys. Check it out. It's on HBO Max right now. Um, and it's set in Baltimore uh, about the motorbike culture there and uh, these young kids that look up to this culture and, you know, it deals with a lot. Disenfranchised youth, um, feeling trapped in your community and this idea of oppression and, and wanting your freedom. And we had a packed house for this one, Shar. Do you remember? We were in the big room and I was just like surrounded. <laughs> we had director Angel Manuel Soto, producer Khalid Pinkett, and three of the uh, film's rising young stars, Jahi Diallo Winston, Kazai Curtis, and Danielle Hansley. Uh, and it was a really fun conversation. And uh, I just loved hearing... Uh, how this film has impacted all of them in very different ways. I just want to add that it was Ange with a table full of men and boys. Like it was, <laughs> it was intimidating. It, it just was. from sitting, I was in the room taking some photos and it was just, it was just little Anne. It was like little Anne, <laughs> men and boys. But the boys were almost men. It was boys to men, basically. So I'm They're all to- taller than me, for yeah. sure. But it was a, yeah, I did, I'll have to I did see not if we have a picture because I usually, you know, I'm sitting at the end of the table. So it's, I usually try to take a photo of me from my point of view, and it, it's probably Ange and then all the press people on the other side of the room. Yes. Like, we were like sardines in the big room. You like you've heard us talk about the small room, us being all cramped in. Like we must there must have been like ten people in that room, wasn't there? Uh yes, easily. And they did add three people to the interview. It was only supposed to be yes. two. Right. And they added three people that morning. So it was like, okay, let's do it. Why not? Yep. Yeah. It was a, <laughs> it, it was, was a- fun, but it was uh yeah. It was one of those blackout moments for sure. Like just yeah. keep talking, something will come out. She had to wrang <laughs> she had to wrangle like seven folks during an interview. So I don't know. I got nothing to complain about. Hey, we all put in our time and this is well worth it because I love this film. Yeah. So. And not to mention, uh, one of the co-writers is a friend of the show, Barry Jenkins. So mm-hmm. that's why we're super stoked um, to get this interview. So enjoy the interview and thanks for listening. and crew from Charm City Kings, uh, which is part of the U.S. dramatic competition here at Sundance. We're so excited to talk about this film. We're going to have to talk fast because I got a lot of questions. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, guys. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. We're coming off uh, the night of the screening, the world premiere. So I know you guys are really excited, but also exhausted. So thank you for being here. We're going to start with Caleb. Can you tell us a little bit about Charm City Kings? 
Um, it's just a coming of age story of a young boy that wants to be accepted. He wants to get a bike. He wants a girl to like him. He wants to look cool. And it starts leading him down a path that he didn't expect. And then when his mother is hit with financial woes and he sees the, the weight of what life is and why his mom works the way that she does and goes to school, he decides he's going to try to be, uh, take on that responsibility. But the only way he can do it is by, I guess, nefarious means, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> to put it lightly, yeah. Yes, and, and, and Angel, it was really emotional before the screening last night. You you teared up, and and you can feel your emotion. And it was really touching for for the crowd to feel that. Can you talk about how you came on board with this project and why it was so important for you to make it? Yeah, I mean the the script came to me uh, through my agents, and and um, and I reacted I reacted very positive, positively to it um, because I felt a connection between marginalized communities and Puerto Rico in itself. And, uh, and I felt like the, 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 the script and the, the story of it all really uh, was able to express a reality that sometimes it's seen with a judgmental eye. And I felt like this was a good opportunity to approach it uh, in, from a place of empathy. Mm-hmm. So being able to tell a story like that and uh, and you know and being on the same page with the producers, with Caleb, with Clarence, uh, I felt like it was our urgent need to create a story that you know caters to the reality of disenfranchised communities um, without falling into like misery porn and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it was really fun. Yeah, it was a it was incredible. The energy in that room was <laughs> incredible. I want to turn it over here to our talent. Uh, we'll start with with Jahi. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about your character Mouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, how you approached this character because all three of your characters are very specific and very different. You all fulfilled very different uh, roles within the community. Uh, so let's talk about Jahi and uh, or, or Mouse and uh, what it was like feeling watching it for the first time with an audience. Oh, it was exhilarating. <laughs> Everyone was so. Everyone was so um, open and accepting of the story that we were telling. Um, they were very vocal, <laughs> which I loved. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I'm not spoiling, but at the end, it was like universal. Like, just, it was like a whole wave of just emotion. And that was great. Like, mm-hmm. that was just so great to be in the midst of that. Uh, I was sitting next to Chino Braxton, and we were looking around like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, yo. It was powerful. Yeah, yeah, it was very powerful. And so, I mean, it was great. The energy was was terrific. And, you know, I was sort of nervous going in. You know, my heart was racing the whole time, actually, because I was like, okay, okay, that moment played. I was like, ah, oh, I probably should have did this. And you know what I'm saying? It's really hard to watch yourself. But yeah, overall, it was it was great to watch the three of us and everyone on on the screen just do their thing. So it was great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Danielle? Ah, oh, man. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> Bro, it was crazy. Like, just because that was the first time we've ever seen it. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. That was the first time I've ever seen it because I've ever seen it. And I just didn't know what to say. Like, <laughs> we, we all did so good. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, really? especially for you, I think I think after the Q and A or during the Q and A, you were saying your character was the biggest stretch. You're, you're yeah. nothing like Lamont. I don't know I'm if I believe like that. It. Maybe you guys can speak <laughs> to that. But you say you're nothing like your character in the film. Yeah, I'm nothing like him. I'm a dancer. I'm always goofy. Like at the after party, they seen it. I'm always flipping, dancing, laughing. But Lamont, he's he's very. He's very hard-headed, you know what I'm saying? He, mm-hmm. he, he figures he has to do this to get, you know what I'm saying, respect, and he ain't about to back down from nobody. And 
I don't know, my he that he is a big question mark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's how I think of him. Yeah, cause I uh, yeah, just like the energy that day, it was insane. Um, playing swear to God was it was it was a different thing for me because I had to like be able to do the accent and then I had to be able to do my comedic timing and work with everyone else. But yeah, just seeing it for the first time was amazing. Um, being there with everyone else was was dope. Um, we turned up at the after party. You guys did. So did you. So did you. So did you. Yeah, you did. Well, I'm 40, so I can do it. I'm an adult. But yeah, yeah, just the experience of the first screening, it was so dope. I was, I'm grateful. It was gratifying that everyone loved it, and uh, yeah. Yeah, and and I can tell just from your your reaction at the Q and A that you you're not a far stretch from swear to God. Yeah, it, it, it's fifty fifty. Like I had to learn how to like act like swear to God, but then I had to like act like myself too. Mm-hmm. So it was that it was that cross line of those two. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, one thing, a, a really beautiful message that comes across in this film when talking about disenfranchised communities um, is this idea of of having a mentor, having somebody to look up to, but. It, it doesn't always come in the form that you expect. You know, we have mm-hmm. these two different sides of, of this cop that's trying to take Mouse under his wing and, and make sure he stays on the straight and narrow. And then we have Blacks, who's played by Meek Mill, who who still has the best of intentions, uh, but maybe the the results of that are, are different, right? So, um, Caleb, can you speak to uh, the the crafting of these mentors and how, um, you know, mentors can come in all different shapes and sizes? Absolutely. Um, people, you get teachers every day, and it just... They all, they come from different sides, and one of the things that I wanted to do with them that I was that I made sure was in the script was it's two different fathers, and neither one of them are wrong, but they but they're different, and it's based off the model that I um, there's a movie I love called The Bronx Tale, and the 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 mafia figure Sonny, and then Robert De Niro's character, the father who's a bus driver, and you got a kid in the middle who wants to be with the mafia, but the Godfather is actually a better guy than what you would think, and it's like it's so it was such a beautiful dynamic that I was like if we can mirror that in this movie it will be great that's why Meek he's in the street and he was doing all that but he's not that anymore and he's trying to guide mice away from it I mean mouse away from it sorry I said mice look at that it's still, it's still early but that was that's that was the 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 goal and the um what I wanted to do with that and Angel really rece- um, was receptive to that and agreed mm-hmm. with it and we were able to do it Right, right, and, and Angel, um, when talking, when speaking of, of directing this film, you know, I grew up watching watching films like Boys in the Hood, Menace to Society, mm-hmm. and, and loving these stories. Shout out to my sister. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, can you talk about directing this film, sort of as as an homage to films that have come before, but also making it your own? Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. The, we we were talking during the whole pre production part of the of of the of the process um, about different films like that, like. Boys in the Hood. Um, uh, what was this other one with the, the three white boys in the train? Oh, uh, Stand By Stand Me. By me. <gasps> that was my other oh, one. Yes. Yeah, like yeah I didn't doing, think of that yeah. connection, but totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> no, it's true. It's like the hood, Stand By Me. Yes. Hood, yeah. <laughs> <Put> Stranger Things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, like, we, we were, yeah, we, we, we were watching a lot of those films, even like George Washington and all these other movies, just to, like, have a sense of how we can create a dynamic that's unique mm-hmm. that doesn't fall too far from the tropes that work you know yeah. um, 
we definitely love the homage aspect of it, and I love paying tribute to who tributes is due. Uh, but at the same time, the same thing happened with Sherman, Sherman Payne, the writer. Uh, he got the script from Barry Jenkins, uh, but he went into it, he worked it, and he made it his own. And I definitely wanted to take that approach when making this film. Uh, my my visual language is very different from Singletons or Olmed or anybody like that. So yeah. I really wanted to make it my own, but at the same time, uh, be able to to pave the way for a new version of this genre. Right. If that makes any sense. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It is. It is standalone, and, and it was so beautiful and, and so specific to Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to turn to our crew, our cast here. Mm-hmm. How did you create? this relationship with each other because I totally see the, the stand by me my, like to a T. It was such a beautiful relationship that you had with each other. What did you do leading up to that to create that authenticity? <laughs> well, from... I, right. <laughs> you know what happened? Every day after set, we would come to my room we will play the game for hours. Yeah. And I think that, like, on top of that, us auditioning, when we yeah, auditioned each other, we just mm-hmm. had, like, natural chemistry. Yeah. And yeah. From the, mom- the moment from the chemistry read on, it was just, like, an instant... An instant connection, um, and then when we got together in Baltimore, like Didi said, I mean, we would play what UFC uh, in the hotel room. And I would violate every time. Not true. <laughs> Here we go. Definitely an exaggeration. On set. <laughs> in between him arguing with the Domino's pizza man, I'll come home from work and Didi would be arguing with the pizza man in the lobby. It'd be like, Didi, what are you doing? <laughs> I bro? Be walking home because that sounds like something Lamont would do. Yeah. By yeah. the way, yeah, yeah, just he, he, he said, he said, he said, he said, he okay. doesn't break the character yeah. to his name. Yeah. I'm not paying for something I asked for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Verbatim. Um, yeah, but it was great. It was, yeah, we, yeah, definitely. Well, well we're going to have to wrap soon, but we can't end this conversation without talking about Baltimore and paying homage to mm-hmm. 12 O'Clock Boys, which is, this is based on. Can you talk about uh, making this authentically Baltimore and what, what, what needed to be done because that was really important to you, Caleb. At, at 1,000%, besides my family being from there and having a personal connection, the 12 O'Clock Boys doc was uh, more of a world thing that we got. We actually didn't, it's not based on that documentary because there was no real story for us to have there. We actually had to create an original idea and using the backdrop of the dirt bike riders. You know, the idea of 12 O'Clock is the willy sitting up at the, like the hands on a clock as Mouse says in the movie, but for as far as the city is concerned, I, f- I felt compelled to make sure we shot it in Baltimore. We hired real Baltimoreans into the film. We embraced the community because it's a forgotten city. It's a it was a once great city that was a was a mecca for black people. And now it's like, as you know, somebody in a high office said, it's a, you know, S-I-H-I-T hole. And I just feel <laughs> like I just feel like it was such a disrespect. So to bring something mm-hmm. to give the people a, a sense of pride in themselves, because mm-hmm. when somebody doesn't believe in themselves or think themselves of any value, the only thing you do is destroy everything around you. Mm-hmm. So I thought uh, bringing something positive into the community, embracing the city and bringing everybody together. I mean, I brought the street riders with the police mm-hmm. together. There was a moment where the first time that has ever happened police are escorting the dirt bike bike riders riders, to and from set Mm -hmm. like hey y'all back up these are our boys (laughs) but a week ago they were chasing them and trying to arrest them had a warrant out for some of the riders you know what I mean and Mm -hmm. just the movie changed all of that so I'm very proud to have done that for you know the Baltimore yeah and to be able to um, really respect the authenticity of the city and not try to make anything else than what it really is. <laughs> uh, one thing we really wanted to focus was on, you know, 
they are victims of their circumstances. This is not a movie about the circumstances. So if we like follow them and their struggle, it speaks for what we already know. So if we can ex excel the beauty of Baltimore, which is like, you know, like the beautiful disaster type of thing, where the people are the ones that actually give life to the city. And I felt like keeping it that way, because I like that to have be done with Puerto Rico at the same time. You know, we're not all gangsters. We don't all dance salsa, even though I do. We definitely saw that. Like, we, we wanted to be really authentic to them, not to our perceptions of them. Mm -hmm. Well, you did an incredible job. We are so honored to have you guys here today. Again, we've been talking to uh, the crew and cast from Charm City Kings. And watch this film. It's going to go far. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Jahi, Kazai, Danielle, Angel, and Kalib. And don't forget to check out Charm City Kings on HBO Max. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about us, you can head to bitchtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by Aaron Lim. My co-host is Angela Tabora, a.k.a. Captain Party. The show's edited by producer Shar. We're powered by GoTo Productions. Bitch.